A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Well, it is a crazy week weather-wise in the uh, southeast mid-Atlantic portion of the country with Hurricane Florence just hammering the uh, Carolina coasts. A very stressful time, and I'm sure that many of our alphas and lieutenants that are in the Carolina area are up to their ass in alligators, as the great Manuel Casada would like to say, a figure of speech. I can certainly relate having had to evacuate last year from the Cigar City of Tampa up to Charleston, South Carolina for Hurricane Irma. And to those of you that are going through the battering, and hopefully uh, now the worst is over, it is not a pleasant time. It is a stressful time. And we wish all of our alphas and lieutenants, all of our listeners in the Carolinas and the Southeast, well, not fun at all. Long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute, semper delictatio. Always pleasure, long live the alpha, make America great again, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, your commanding five-star global general and alpha male-in-chief from Command Center Alpha here in the Cigar City of Tampa. I tell you, I remember one year ago, almost to the week, having to grab a go bag and grab my German Shepherd and evacuate to the Charleston, South Carolina area. And I can tell you that the folks that were at the hotel I stayed at and everybody I came across were extremely accommodative. They couldn't have been friendlier, could not have been nicer. And as we look at the video and the pictures coming out of the Carolinas, it is just uh, the amount of water just staggering. And people are saying, well, it's not that it went from a Category 4 down to a 3 to a 1 when it hit. Not that bad. Trust me. It's not just the wind. It is the water. It is the tidal surge. You've got uh, the, the, the high tides that are going in. You've got all this water being pushed in. And for those people, I saw yesterday, I'm watching on the various news networks, People in New Bern, North Carolina, and some people in Wilmington, North Carolina, who despite repeatedly being told thousands of times, this is going to be a major storm. There is going to be flooding. It's not just the wind. You must evacuate. Get out. We cannot rescue you during the hurricane. We're not going to send out first responders when there's howling winds, rain, lightning, Flooding, it is not going to happen. Shelters were open. The roads, a contraflow was, was uh, opened up in the Carolinas. You were told from the president on down, between tweets from the president, between FEMA, between the governors, between mayors saying, get out, evacuate. And then I watch on the cable news these idiots 
saying, well, you know, we think we're going to stick around. I've ridden through these hurricanes before. Big deal. Well, it is a big deal, especially when you've got a slow-moving system moving at five miles an hour that is just pummeling the region with water. I mean, we're talking up to, uh, what, 20, 30 inches of water. And not only that, but you're talking about massive amounts of storm surge coming in from the ocean, filling up all these various rivers. It is a disaster area. And yet, these dumbasses refuse to listen to common sense. They refuse to listen to the authorities saying, get out. This is not, we're not kidding around. I don't know how many times governors have to tell people. But you know, as I've realized, there is a certain contingency of humans, not just Americans, people in the world. I don't know what the percentage is. They're just plain stupid. They are dumb. Now, for those of us that are incredibly smart, all of us alphas, it works to our advantage because when we're negotiating with them in business or we're dealing with them in certain situations, it works to our advantage. Stupidity pays, especially if you're bright and smart and have common sense. But there is a certain contingency of people that no matter what you say, no matter what evidence you present, they are still stupid. They are dumbasses. Remember that FedEx commercial a number of years ago when the guy's, uh, <laughs> where the guy's doing an interview with a guy and, and uh, it's Mr. D-U-M-A-S-S. And instead of calling him Mr. Dumas, he keeps calling him now, Mr. Dumbass, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to work hard for you, Mr. Dumbass. And Mr. Dumbass, this and that. And at the end, the guy goes, it's Dumas, not Dumbass. Well, needless to say, the guy didn't get the job. And that's the example that I'm making. People refuse to listen to common sense, no matter what you show them, no matter what you tell them. And so as I'm watching the cable news networks and the Weather Channel yesterday, all these people stuck in attics and the first responders are saying, well, we're not coming out. We got the calls, but we're not coming out until it's safe for our first responders. And these people think they ought to be rescued immediately. Note to dumbasses, not the dumasses, the dumbasses that refuse to listen to emergency personnel, to governors, to the president, to FEMA, to people that have been through this hundreds of times before. When you are told to evacuate and get your stupid asses out from coastal areas or along rivers, do it. Do not wait. We learned that, an, uh, that lesson in Hurricane Andrew and Hurricane Katrina. Yet, oh no, I'm going to ride it out. Ah, it's no big deal. It's a little bit of water. And now all of a sudden they're, caught, they're calling to get uh, rescued. It is just, it, it fails to astonish me how stupid people can be. Now, of course, all of us alphas that are intelligent, that use our brains, that are well-read, that are up on current events, we don't screw around. We look and say, hey, we're not going to be stupid. We're not going to be uh, uh, obstinate. Common sense dictates to us that when you have 20 to 40 inches of rain, number one, you're going to get flooding. But then you have a hurricane with winds and tidal surge. On top of that, get the F out. GTFO, get the frick out. End of discussion. All right. I didn't want to start on that, but it just got me going, and that's how it goes. Burt Reynolds, the great Burton Reynolds. Actually, Burt Reynolds, uh, let me find, I want to get his full name. Burton Milo Reynolds Jr., born Feb 11, 1936, Lansing, Michigan, but grew up in the Florida area, in Florida, down in Palm Beach County. His father 
An Army veteran was the police chief for Riviera Beach, Florida, in Palm Beach County. He was, I believe, a, a teammate and also a roommate of Lee Corso of ESPN, who we have on the show on a regular basis. Burt Reynolds died uh, just about uh, just a, a week or so ago, just over a week. I couldn't get to it last week. But what a, uh, for those of us that are alphas, when you're growing up and you are in your teens, 18, 20, and you see Burt Reynolds, and you see him with Lonnie Anderson, and you see him having a good time driving that Trans Am, you want to be Burt Reynolds. You want to be like him. He always looked like he had fun. I enjoyed his movies. Now, were they many of them Academy Award winners? Not really. But nonetheless, the guy was a huge box office star, charismatic star, and total alpha all the way. Some of the films that he, uh, he was involved with, certainly one that comes to mind, which really was a, uh, a noted theatrical work, Deliverance. You got a nice mouth. If you have not seen Deliverance, you got to watch it. It, it really was a, one of the great movies. It's about four guys from Atlanta. They go uh, on this like survivalist canoe trip, and they end up meeting some backwoods hillbillies. And there's a scene that's a little disturbing that guys basically are squealing for good reason. But Deliverance, great movie. He was in The Longest Yard, the Smokey and the Bandit franchise. 82, passed away. Uh, and I'll tell you, some of the movies that I thought were his best works, one of them he played uh, Jack Horner, a, a movie director in Boogie Nights that came out in 1997. I remember going to see it. I wanted to go see it. And uh, a number of people didn't want to go see it. I mean, a number of the members of the harem at the time, I said, come on, we'll go see Boogie Nights. I don't want to see this thing. I figured, fine, I went by myself. It was a phenomenal movie. And Burt Reynolds, interesting, he played great on it. He said, I thought that was one of my best theatrical works, but I didn't care for the movie only because, he said he didn't like, he cared for the movie, but he didn't like the experience of the movie because he didn't care for the director uh, at the time, who was Jack Horner. Or not Jack Horner, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He played the director, Jack Horner, but a phenomenal movie. He was the number one box office attraction for a five-year stretch starting in the 19. 19- 70s. Here are some of his other uh, movies. Starting over, 1979 with Jill Clayburgh, Candace Bergen. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, 1982 with Dolly Parton. That was a good movie. Best Friends, 1982 with Goldie Hawn, shot in my hometown of Buffalo. The Man Who Loved Women, 1983, Julie Andrews. Uh, And he was kind of a tough guy. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. He was a tough guy. He basically... Kind of could be obstinate on some of the sets, and he was offered numerous parts that he didn't take. He was offered uh, to be the star of uh, Star Wars, uh, Han Solo in Star Wars, astronaut Garrett Breedlove in Terms of Endearment, cop John McClane in Die Hard, passed on those. He also passed on the part to play R.P. McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and the part of playing... The part that was made very famous uh, by Richard Gere and Pretty Woman. So he passed on a number of parts, and he said, I didn't open myself to new writers or risky parts because I wasn't interested in challenging myself as an actor. I was interested in having a good time. He said, I missed a lot of opportunities to show I could play serious roles. By the time I finally woke up and tried to get it right, nobody would give me a chance. And many people will remember 
the famous Cosmopolitan Centerfold in April 1972. He posed nude on a bearskin rug, and then he graced the cover seven years later of Playboy. Not Playgirl, Playboy. And the Cosmo issue sold 1.5 million copies. He said it's been called one of the greatest publicity stunts of all time, but it was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. I'm convinced it cost Deliverance the recognition it deserved. Started as a running back in high school and played uh, in college, running back in Florida State. Injured, uh, I think, in his sophomore year and then decided, I'm going to go into acting. And sure enough, he did. Uh, Longest Yard, another great movie, semi-tough. And that Pontiac Trans Am, that sleek Trans Am that he rode in Smokey and the Bandit after the movie opened, sales of Pontiac Trans Am soared. He also was a part owner of the Tampa Bay Bandits of the USFL, which was named after Smokey and the Bandit. And let's face it, the man was known, also B.L. Stryker, uh, uh, he won an Academy Award for Evening Shade on CBS. But let's face it, when you think about Burt Reynolds, you think about Lonnie Anderson. And there was a great story that was told to me by Gene Deckerhoff, the voice of the Florida State Seminoles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Touchdown, Seminoles! One of the great play-by-play men of all time. No question about it. And uh, playing golf one time a number of years ago at a Florida broadcaster's convention. And I don't know how the subject, you know, Burt was a very big Florida State um, uh, alum and really was very close to Bobby Bowden, very close to the program. And so he would appear at a lot of the booster dinners and just was out and about. And so he was at one dinner and Gene Deckerhoff tells, and I don't, I can't remember if Dean, Gene tells me that he was the one that said this or somebody else uh, on the dais said it. But he comes up and he says, Bert, I really feel sorry for you. And people are looking around thinking, what the hell? He goes, I feel sorry for you because you are married to Lonnie Anderson. Of course, everybody's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Then the guy, he finishes, he says, because you got nothing else to fantasize about in life. And of course, it drew, drew a big chuckle and so on. And let's face it, Lonnie Anderson, even today in her 70s, looks fantastic. And back in the day when he married her right after the WKRP in Cincinnati when she played Jennifer Marlowe, the blonde, bodacious receptionist. Come on, what alpha male at the time did not want to bang Lonnie Anderson? That was every adolescent and every teen and young adult heterosexual male's fantasy to be with Lonnie Anderson. And even today, as I said, in her 70s, she looks marvelous. You look marvelous, darling. You really do. Very interesting. Uh, I was watching Netflix or Amazon Prime. I can't remember which one. Got to be about six weeks ago. And I'm flicking around, and I get this movie suggestion called The Last Movie Star, and it's with Burt Reynolds. And Burt did this uh, last year. I think it was about 2017 that because uh, it was released in March. I think the end of March it was released. It's about an aging actor, very big screen actor, uh, gets lured into accepting an award at a rinky-dink film festival in Nashville. And it's basically, uh, uh, it, it, there's some funny parts, but there's a lot of serious parts. And he kind of goes back to where he's from originally in Knoxville, played on the Tennessee football team. A lot of similarities 
to Burt Reynolds' real life. And it was very interesting. And it was really an interesting... Uh, it, it, so I figured, let me watch this movie. I watched the preview. It looked interesting. I thought it was one of Burt Reynolds' best ever performances. And at the time, Burt did not look... He, he looked like he was in frail health, failing health. Not failing health, but just frail. He looked a little frail. And uh, you got to love Burt. Still had the, the toupee. Still wore the rug at the top, but he still still looked good. It was a great movie. It was a serious movie. And to me, I kept thinking there's got, there are a lot of similarities. Football star goes back. He uh, ends up going to Knoxville, and that's where his first wife, I think he, in the movie he was married like three or four times, but the first woman was the love of his life, and he wants to go back, and she happens to be, she's suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia, and he finds her and takes her out to where he first proposed to her. Uh, in Knoxville. It's just a really interesting movie in how he develops a bond with a young girl who didn't even know who the hell the guy was, but back in the day he was huge. So the parallels between the last movie star, the character that Burt Reynolds played in the last movie star, and in real his real life story, just just on the same path. So my suggestion, if you have a chance Definitely watch The Last Movie Star. I can't remember. Do a search on Netflix. I think it was on Amazon Prime, but it is well worth it. The Last Movie Star starring Burt Reynolds. And Lee Corso last week on college ESPN College Football Game Day did a very nice tribute to Burt Reynolds. Let's face it. Burt Reynolds was an alpha male without a doubt. Great movies. And... Uh, a lot of guys growing up wanted to be like Bert. He had the swab. He, he had the, the, just the, the gunslinging type mentality, had the balls, and just had the attitude. Rest in peace, Bert Reynolds, at the age of 82. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. 
That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone, from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. Cigar, check. Steak, check. Adult libation, check. Hot stacked dame with nag feature disengaged, check. Proceed with Cigar Dave Pleasure Maneuvers. And a membership to the Cigar Dave Officers Club should be checked. If it is not, that is an issue we must address. The August 2018 Officers Club selection of the Fonseca Classic should have been received by all members. They did go out late. Again, what has gone on in Nicaragua has had a ripple effect with cigars coming in from other countries because of the customs backups. Nicaragua is a hotbed. In fact, I just saw that Drew Estate uh, canceled one of their big events down in Nicaragua. They're postponing it. They canceled it, going to reschedule for the fall of 2019 because of the civil unrest going on in Nicaragua. Hard to believe Nicaragua was relatively stable until about uh, five, six months ago, and certainly it has changed dramatically with the regime that is in power. But the Fonseca Classic, beautiful Dominican, creamy, mild to medium flavored cigars you should have received. For September, they will be the Officers Club selection coming from Rocky Patel. We have narrowed it down to two selections. I will make the announcement next week. We're just waiting to see which one's going to get out of the aging room first and out through customs and out uh, from Nicaragua. So we've got it down to two of their new cigars. It's going to be one of them, that I can tell you. And we'll probably announce it uh, on Twitter and Facebook and on our website later on this week. If you're not a member of the Officers Club, go to CigarDave.com right now. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. You will not go wrong. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app. For Apple, Android, and Kindle devices, you can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold. All three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional, mild, and creamy cigar, typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian De Florado wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging with an earthy Sumatra wrapper. Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied, and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, a little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. 
instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy profile. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold, three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, the October Officers Club selection is going to come from A.J. Fernandez, one of the great manufacturers down in Nicaragua. So I wanted to pull out a few cigars and get my palate properly ready for the October Officers Club. And I'm not going to tell you what that selection is just yet, but I'm going to select, or I have selected, a cigar that, uh, when I was at the Cigar Retailers Convention, ran into Frank Santos of A.J. Fernandez, and he said, General, you got to try some of these Enclave Habanos. We've rechanged some things. Just take some of these and smoke them. So I took some Enclave Habanos as well as some of the Enclave Broadleaves. But Habano just absolutely was spectacular. So I have selected the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano for my Litation Cigar today. It is a very unique blend. Uses a very rich Habano Rosado wrapper from Ecuador with a Cameroon binder. So right off the bat, you're going to get that Ecuador Rosado, that nice sun-grown taste, and that Cameroon with a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of spiciness, and then they use some A.J. Fernandez Piloto Cubano and Nicaraguan uh, select fillers that really give the cigar a unique combination, a taste profile of some spice, some cedar, some cinnamon, some pepper. It's very, very unique. It is a great, just a nice cigar, suggested retail in the seven to eight and a half, nine dollar category. You cannot go wrong. It's on the medium plus side. Medium plus, not quite super full, but on a scale of one to 10, it's definitely in the seven to eight category. So some very nice flavor, some nice strengths made at Tabacalera Fernandez in Esteli, Nicaragua. And again, draped in this beautiful reddish-hued Rosado Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. Absolutely fantastic. And I have selected the Churchill. Seven inches in length, 52 ring gauge. Nice, large size cigar. And again, for this cigar, we're looking roughly uh, about eight bucks suggested retail. You cannot go wrong. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Well, I got the self sharpening double edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, from the Cigar Dave R&D Research and Development Laboratories, the guys that wear the white coats with the pocket protectors and the pens in the pocket protectors, they have given me a new model. Well, that's the same model. It's the Mala. Make America Lightate again. The Mala. But they've added another flame to it. So now it's got 
four unique flames on here, and it's a little bit different variation, so we're calling this Mala V 2.0, version 2.0. Take a listen to that. That's what I would use today to ignite this A.J. Fernandez Magnificent Enclave Habano. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. Not quite the perfect cut. Let me do that one more time. That now is the perfect cut. I just needed to get a tad more of the cap off. When you take the head of the cigar off, it should be taken off just above the shoulders where the cigar curves in. And I did it just a bit too high, but now I've got a perfect cut. And now I'm going to take my Cigar Dave R&D Laboratory Mala Make America Lightate Again version 2.0 and gently toast the foot of this cigar, taking my time. No rush. And again, I'm not going to stick the flame right on the foot of the cigar. I am going to allow heat to cause combustion. And as I do that, let me remind you as we celebrate, continue to celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, celebrating bourbon and celebrating American whiskeys and American spirits. In the next hour, for the entire hour, we'll be joined by Dave Pickerell, noted master distiller. He was the master distiller of Maker's Mark for 14 years. Who doesn't love the Maker's, for, uh, Maker's 46? Phenomenal, phenomenal bourbon. And for uh, the last number of years, he has been a consultant as well as a master distiller to many craft distilling startups. And he has consulted Whistle Pig and St. Augustine Distillery, Garrison Brothers, working on a project for Metallica. Just some great, great craft distillers. And as I puff and rotate, we will... Wow, fantastic. We will have Dave on talking about his background and makers, because let's face it, makers, really the first super premium bourbon in the country. And we'll talk about some of the unique craft distilled bourbons and whiskeys. He's also involved in a very unique project at the uh, George Washington Mount Vernon Estate, where they have recreated the original distillery from 1798 and making George Washington rye whiskey the same recipes that were used in 1798 because George Washington took copious notes and they were able to find it and they are using the same production methods. So we'll talk to him about that. One final touch on my A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano. Let me take a few puffs. Oh yeah, mm-hmm, great aroma, wow, great taste. A.J. Fernandez has been making cigars now, gotta be about, I wanna say 15 years. Started making cigars for Rocky Patel and now you look, General Cigar has cigars made by A.J. Fernandez. Altadas, everywhere you look, A.J. is around. Great factory. He's created great cigars, and now he's really got a push for some of his incredible, incredible brands, his own brands that he has made. And I can tell you that his booth at the Cigar Retailers Convention was absolutely packed. So we will be featuring an A.J. Fernandez cigar for the October Officers Club selection. We'll bring on Frank Santos, his marketing director, talk a little bit about some of their great blends and great cigars. Now, as I take a few puffs, hmm, I gotta tell you something, I almost don't, don't wanna stop puffing because the flavor and the aroma of this A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano is just magnificent, but I need hmm, the proper accompaniment. Scotch, so, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. 
Let's break out the bottle of 50 Stone Highland Style Single Malt Whiskey from Maine Craft Distilling up in Portland, Maine. I had the opportunity to visit Portland, uh, Maine Craft Distilling two years ago, and we did a great uh, hour from there, and uh, we talked to their founder and master distiller, and I've got to tell you, their lineup is fantastic. If you ever get to Portland, Maine, it is worth the drive. They moved in about... I want to say about six, eight months ago into some newer facilities, bigger. They've outgrown it. And uh, Sergeant Steve, let's, I think we've got a picture of their uh, uh, big distilling, uh, distillation uh, unit. I, I'm trying to remember what it was called. I think it was called uh, Frankenstill is what they called it. Homemade. Yes, I mean, we they have did, Yes, I'll, I'll put that on Twitter. Fantastic. It was really, they built it from scratch. They didn't buy it. Uh, they figured, hey, you know what? We're tight on on funds. We're gonna make our own. And I gotta tell you, this that Frankenstill makes phenomenal, phenomenal spirits. This 50 stone whiskey is absolutely magnificent. It honors a nostalgic unit of measurement where 50 stones of barley makes one barrel of whiskey. So what they do at Maincraft Distilling, they floor uh, malt their main grown barley and they get the complexity and just the new flavor nuances, and they create a whiskey that is unique to Maine. In fact, everything they make at Maine Craft Distilling primarily sourced from Maine. Maine has barley. They don't have corn in Maine. So consequently, they make a Scotch-style whiskey. Now, it's a single malt American-made whiskey. It's not a bourbon because it's not at least 51% corn, and it's not aged in new oak barrels, but it is a whiskey. So it is a malted, uh, just a, a single malt whiskey made from barley. And the aroma on this, it's got a very light amber gold color to it. Let me say cheers. Mm. Wow. This tastes, you, now it's a little young. They only age it, I want to say, about 18 months, maybe two years. So it's not overly aged. You definitely get the unique barley taste, but you get enough of the wood to say this is not a bourbon-style whiskey. This is definitely more of a Highland-style, a Scotch-style whiskey. Take another taste. Mm. Mm. Got a little spice on the way down, a little sweetness. Mm, definite wood notes to it. This is definitely a not a strong whiskey, but it's definitely not as tame of a whiskey as an older age spirit. But very, very nice. And every bottle they make of 50 Stone Highland Style Whiskey at Baincraft Distillers goes right out the door. And by the way, got my allergies acting up here. I usually get them in Florida right around like October, November. This year they're early. And if I sound a little different, that's because... Got the allergies flaring up. I've been on the uh, Sudafed, uh, what, like every tw what, 12 hours. They don't make the 24-hour Sudafed anymore. You can take one tablet a day, but I think they were worried that people were going to make uh, all sorts of illicit drugs. Now when you go to buy Sudafed, you got to give them an ID. It's crazy. But I will tell you, this 50-stone whiskey, very soothing down the throat. Even though I don't have a sore throat or anything, I can just, uh, you can tell I sound a little bit nasally. But I feel fine, feel fantastic. Just a little of the allergies, but I'll tell you what, the allergies not impinging on my ability 
to get and detect great aromas from my A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano and my main craft distilling 50 Stone Whiskey. All right, when we come back, I've got to get into talking about this Me Too, hashtag Me Too movement. Whatever, it is amazing in this country. We always go from one extreme to the other. And as I've stated, those men that were scumbags, that uh, pulled some shenanigans that were not appropriate, no question, they deserve to be dealt with appropriately. But now we're seeing everything falling into Me Too. If you look at a woman the wrong way, or if you send her a text message, a business text message that's harshly worded, all of a sudden, hashtag Me Too. It happened at CBS, 60 Minutes. I've got some other instances that I want to talk about. We're seeing it with Judge uh, Brett Kavanaugh with the little DiFi, the Diane Feinstein memo, supposedly, from high school. But this is getting out of control now. So when I come back, I'm going to address it. I'm going to give you my take on the hashtag MeToo movement that's gone hashtag out of control. Get the latest cigars, handpicked by the general each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. As cigar connoisseurs, we love sampling cigars with different wrappers, different taste profiles from different countries. And I've got the perfect way that you can sample fabulous cigars delivered directly to you each month. It is the Cigar Dave Officers Club. For $22.95 per month, you will get three of the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you each month. We have featured some incredible cigars. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary. From Alec Bradley Cigars, the Prensado Lost Art. We featured the Placencia Cosecha 146. We had an incredible Davidoff portfolio sampler, and we've got many new cigars that we'll be featuring in the months ahead. So become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join now. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. The Cigar Dave Officers Club. Join CigarDave.com slash Officers Club today. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigar is. It's tough, but I'm going to go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent. And smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I got to tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree, but guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes.
like a wolf feasting on a sheep's carcass. The general viciously shreds the enemies of pleasure and licks his blood-soaked chops with the taste of victory. Ah, great music to relax me as I take some fabulous puffs on my A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano and I'll take a sip of my Maincraft Distilling 50 Stone Highland Style Whiskey. And I need to be relaxed for this segment because I know I'm going to get worked up. Hashtag worked up. In this country, we always go from one extreme to the other. We don't have any moderation. So, for example, in this Me Too movement, we've gone from people and men like Harvey Weinstein and now Les Moonves, who absolutely deserve to be called to task and put to shame for what they did. I mean, when I read Les Moonves dropped his pants and made a woman give him oral sex and, 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 and harm women's careers, I'm sorry. That's the actions of a scumbag, period. That's not an alpha male. That's a scumbag. But what has happened now is that we've got all these other men that are getting caught up in the Me Too movement. If you say good morning to a woman now the wrong way, all of a sudden, you're going to get tweeted about saying, a man looked at me the wrong way. A man this morning to me said good morning when I've had a bad morning. Hashtag Me Too. We go from one extreme to the other. It's never enough just to say, look, there's a small percentage of men that are scumbags, that are total skeezballs. Their, their behavior is boorish. It is unacceptable. Harvey Weinstein, this week there was a tape coming out showing how the guy wants one of the actresses that comes to visit him or whatever. He tries to cop a hug. Like, I, how desperate. Look at the guy. He's a, all you have to do is look at these guys. They can't get women on their own. So they use their power to try to not seduce women, but to intimidate women. I'm sorry. Trying to intimidate a woman is not going to get her moist. That does not work. It will never work. And let's face it. Look at Harvey Weinstein. Look at Michael Moore. These guys look like unmade beds. They look like they need a bath and a shave. Would anybody go near Harvey Weinstein if, 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 if the guy wasn't the head of a big, big uh, uh, motion picture firm or a big uh, entertainment executive? Hell no. And when you see guys like Charlie Rose that did this over and over, I'm sorry, like, here, sit on the couch, or Matt Lauer that has a, door, has a remote-controlled door closer, come on. Obscene and absurd. So these guys that get caught in that, they deserve it because they knew damn well their behavior not only was not unacceptable, it's impolite and it's boorish. But now what we're seeing is everybody getting caught into this. Let me give you a perfect example. Norm MacDonald, comedian, said earlier this week he was former Saturday Night Live cast member, told The Hollywood Reporter that, and I'm quoting here, he was happy the Me Too movement had slowed down a little bit. Now, I agree with him because we had this rush where all of a sudden everybody is Me Too, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too, Me Too, and it's kind of slowed down. And all he said was, look, you know, I can interpret that as, hey, I'm glad to see that maybe all the people that, that were, were part of the Me Too, that uh, were victims of Me Too, maybe they've all come out and maybe it's done. Glad it's slowed down a little bit. 
He said, people used to receive a second chance, but now, and I quote, there is no forgiveness. And he's right. Now, it depends on the actions. Harvey Weinstein, I'm sorry. You physically try to assault a woman or rape a woman, I'm sorry. That doesn't deserve, you know, a second chance. You know what you're doing. But if it's an instance where, whatever, you say something, a, a politically insensitive, uh, incorrect joke, or a sexual innuendo joke, I'm sorry. That does not, in my estimation, merit someone getting fired and losing umpteen years of good service over something that may have been said innocuously, or somebody sends, you know, a picture, uh, like uh, I, I get all these pictures all the time from friends, and, you know, somebody's around, and they go, let me see it. You show it to them, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody could say, hey, well, you know, I'm, it is kind of a little inappropriate. Okay, great. I get that. But the problem today is that we're going way the hell overboard. And here's a perfect example. Norm MacDonald gets castigated castigated by members of the Hollywood community. And McDonald mentioned that Louis C.K., who was accused of sexual assault or sexual misconduct, and Barr, who was fired from her show in Maine, you know, he, he used them as examples. But he tweeted an apology and said, look, I don't defend their actions, but, you know, we've gone a little overboard. Well, guess what happened? The Tonight Show was going to have Norm McDonald on to promote his new Netflix show, which actually debuted yesterday, called the Norm. It's called Norm Macdonald has a show, isn't it? Norm Macdonald has a farm. E I E I O. Norm Macdonald has a show. E I E I O. So he's going to go on the uh, Tonight Show to promote his new show. What happened? The Tonight Show canceled his appearance after he got some criticism for his comments about the Me Too movement. Now I'm sorry for the Tonight Show to cancel an appearance because. The man used his First Amendment right to give his opinion. Now, he didn't go and say, look, I think it's re the Me Too movement is totally ridiculous. Men should be able to rape women. Men should be able in positions of power to berate women and abuse women. He never said that. He simply said, look, I'm glad the Me Too movement has finally calmed down. And people used to get second chances. And we saw Les Moonves for actions he did. And listen, by what I read, and again, the man is entitled to due process, but from what I read, from all these women coming out, he definitely used his power and was a total scumbag a la Harvey Weinstein. But it isn't even affected now 60 Minutes because we have seen the executive producer, Jeff Fager, longtime executive producer of 60 Minutes, was fired on Wednesday. Apparently, he sent a text message to CBS News correspondent Jerrica Duncan, who was investigating and covering the uh, network's uh, uh, sexual harassment ac uh, accusations against him. Apparently, some people said that he allowed wild things to go on at parties and so on and so forth. But she reached out last Sunday to Fager for his response to allegations in the New Yorker magazine that he had groped or touched CBS employees at company parties. Now, here's the thing. If you're at a company party and, you know, you go up and hug somebody, I'm sorry, we've gotten way sensitive when there's a difference between groping, grabbing a woman's boobs and just hugging someone. Well, he basically said, look, if you repeat these false accusations without any of your own reporting to back them up, you'll be held responsible for harming me. Be careful. There are people who lost their jobs trying to harm me, and if you pass on these damaging claims without your own reporting to back them up, that will become a serious problem. Well, he was firm in his statement, and of course, she had to go crying and whining to CBS News president, who then terminated him. And then Jeff Glore, who is the most the anchorman with the least amount of gravitas in the history of network news 
goes on and says, we're all behind you. What he did was unacceptable. Grow a set, Glor. Grow a set. Enough of this Me Too movement. We'll celebrate Bourbon Heritage Month next on The Cigar Dave Show. This is AMEN, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General Cigar Dave. Well, we continue our celebration of National Bourbon Heritage Month. The entire month of September again. This has got to be my favorite month because we've got the start of college and NFL football. National Bourbon Heritage Month. The weather, at least here in the Cigar City of Tampa, starts to cool down a little bit. And so we... Get ready to end the year, the last quarter, and what a great way to combine cigars and great spirits. And we have a very special guest, an industry icon that will join us this hour as we continue talking American whiskeys and bourbons and other American spirits. And it always culminates the last Saturday of the month. We will have a giant tasting, and I can tell you that about three of the spirits I've got right in front of me, bourbons, and American whiskeys, we will definitely include them on our gigantic National Bourbon Heritage Month Tasting Maneuver Show. And we welcome you back, our number two of the Cigar Dave Show, the general and the foremost authority on cigars, spirits, diversions, dice, dames, the alpha male good life front and center from Command Center Alpha here in the Cigar City. And it is my pleasure to welcome a giant in the world of bourbon and distilled spirits. We are joined right now by Dave Pickerell, who now has his own firm called Oakview Spirits, but for many, many years, he was the master distiller at Maker's Mark. And let's face it, who doesn't love some Maker's 46? Dave, it is great to have you on the Cigar Dave Show. Ah, thank you. It's good to be on. All right, Dave, so tell us, first of all, before we get into how you became a master distiller at Makers and then you embarked on your own venture uh, really as a consultant and, and helping so many craft distillers set things up, but give us about your background. Where are you from originally? And, and uh, give us a little bit about your education and how you got in- interested in the distilled spirits industry. Well, I grew up just outside of Dayton, Ohio, in uh, kind of a, I'll, I'll classify it as a lower blue class collar community and uh when uh, our family deal was on sundays we'd go for a drive and you couldn't go for a drive without uh without running past a factory or two and every time i'd be up on my knees this is before seat belts and and i'd be peppering dad with questions you know what's that tank for why is that pipe over there how come there's smoke coming out of that thing and i'd get maybe three or four questions in and dad would go son the only person that understands that's the chemical engineer. And, and I think he really just meant, shut up, I'm not answering any more of your stupid questions. But uh, by the time I was five years old, I remember we were passing a Kimberly Clark toilet paper plant, and it had, there was about a four-story tall stack of, of reject toilet paper out front, and I start peppering Dad with questions again. 
And he hits me with that same answer. And I came out of my seat and I grabbed the back of his seat and I said, then I'm going to be the chemical engineer because I need to understand these things. And that's really the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life. By the time I was 10, I knew I needed every science and math course known to man and that somebody else was going to have to pay for college. And so I started doing sports just so that I could see if I could earn a scholarship. And lo and behold, West Point offered me a scholarship to play football. And uh, they didn't have chemical engineering, but they had chemistry. But I figured, well, I'm moving the ball in the right direction. So I majored in chemistry, served my five, and I was getting ready to get out. West Point calls up and says, hey, you know, you were a really good student. You got us some notoriety with some of your published papers, and we think we owe you. Would you like to come back as a professor? And I said, all right, I know there's more to this story, so let's have it all. And they said, well, for the mere cost of an additional six years, we'll get you a master's in any chemically related industry. And I said, chemical engineering? They said, sure. So I agreed. And uh, they sent me to the University of Louisville. While I was there studying, my mentor discovered that I'm an idiot savant at distilling. And I got, like on the, the distillation test, I got a 99, and the next high score was a 35. And uh, they started calling me a grain man. And uh, when I finally finished my military obligation, my mentor just says, the beverage alcohol industry needs you. And he he found a consulting job in Louisville that just did beverage alcohol and just put me in it. And uh, so that's how I got started. One of my clients was Maker's Mark and I'd been consulting for him on and off for about five, six years. And one day Bill Samuels just walked out of his office and said, did you know that we're looking for our next master distiller? I said, no, sir, I didn't. He goes, well, that explains why he didn't apply. Um, he says, we just exhausted our whole candidate pool. Didn't find anybody we like. We're tired of looking. We like you, and if you want it, the job's yours. And that's how I started being a master distiller. I stuttered for the only time in my life, and uh, it took me about a minute just to say yes, please, and uh, and started on the most wonderful job a person could ever have in their lifetime. Well, I can see now that, because there's an interesting story, because uh, you actually serve as the master distiller for George Washington's distillery in Mount Vernon, and let's face it, the father of our country, George Washington, was not a teetotaler. He also was a distiller. So you were in the Army. I can kind of see the correlation there. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love history, and I love military history in particular. And uh, so George Washington's always been one of my favorite figures. And so back in 2001, when uh, um, they decided that they were going to rebuild and re reestablish George Washington's distillery, they asked makers if I could be a part of the project. And Maker said yes, and I, I tell people that's the only mistake Maker's ever made. Because while I was working on George Washington's distillery on the side, I fell in love with rye. And uh, as soon as the rye culture came back, I had to leave Maker's Mark and go do things in the rye world. And we'll get into talking about rye because really everybody thinks bourbon, and we always say it's it's the, the quintessential American spirit, but rye was really the first uh, unique quintessential American spirit before bourbon. Oh, yeah. Rye predates bourbon by, by you know, a good 150 years or so. And uh, um, so I think rye could actually be America's historic spirit. Bourbon wouldn't have existed had it not been for a bunch of distillers getting getting fed up with the government back in the, in the uh, late 1700s and 
deciding that they were too close to the flagpole, so they put on their put all their rye and their stills in the boat and headed south and along the Allegheny Monongahela rivers, and they hit the falls of the Ohio at Louisville and, and got out and found all these farmers that didn't know what to do with all the grain they had. And uh, that's really what started bourbon was all the rye guys floating down the river. Dave Pickerell, who is the um, mass, noted master distiller and uh, the uh, founder of Oakview Spirits, a uh, consulting firm now that consults many of the craft distillers across the country, but really made his name at Maker's Mark as the master distiller, our guest as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. So, Dave, let's talk about uh, you, leave, you leave West Point. You got a degree, a master's degree in chemical engineering. And how do you hook up with Maker's Mark? Well, I was, uh, there was this little company that doesn't exist anymore that was called Rotec, which is a, a, a little consulting firm in Louisville that just did beverage alcohol. And uh, um, the, uh, the principal of the company, John Meredith, is probably the, the second smartest, third smartest man I ever met. And, uh, and he just started this little consulting firm and, and Makers was one of our clients. And, and so when I came on board, um, I did all of the environmental consulting for the company, and Makers had a little environmental issue that had a pinhole leak in an oil line, and uh, so that immediately fell to me to go take care of it. And uh, but uh, from time to time, over five years, I would just do a little design work from here from time to time, and you know, fix a con- condenser or fix a, a cooler or whatever, just whatever they needed something, I'd pop down there and take care of it because they didn't have an engineer on staff. And so they got familiar with my line of work and what I could do and my understanding of distillation. And uh, um, when the job came open, literally, I was standing there doing work, and Bill Samuels just waved me over and offered me the job. Um, I, my application process was non-existent. It just, uh, um, he just said, we like you, and if you want this, it's yours. and. Uh, it was kind of astounding, and, and then being able to sit at the feet of Bill Samuels for 14 years and watch makers grow. When I started consulting for makers, they were about 75,000 cases a year. When I left in 2008, we were making 1.56 million cases a year. That's incredible, just the, the incredible growth. So you really saw make. I mean, when, when you started at Makers, it was well-known, but really, would you say it was more like a boutique type of bourbon? Well, it was a it was mostly a state bourbon. It was almost exclusively Kentucky, and you know a little bleed over into the adjoining states. Um, and it wasn't until after I got there that they started branching out to becoming a regional and then national and then international brand. Um, and uh, um, you know, it just it just hit all the things at the right time. Makers was really the first premium spirit. Um, their first uh, their first. Uh, um, ad slogan was taste expensive and is and that's, right. uh, that's when it was uh you know everybody was selling their whiskey for about 4.99 and makers was selling a bottle for five for 6.99 and so it's a 50 percent premium you know and that was unheard of at that era and uh um and uh um you know they were really the the brand that put premium and ultra premium and super premium you know, into Americans' vernacular when it comes to spirits. And when we look at the maker's mark, I think what's very unique about that is that it it, it 
does have some soft red winter wheat, which really makes it, it tames it, makes it very smooth. And, and instead of, uh, you know, the usual rye, they put the wheat in. And to me, that's why it's just such a smooth drinking bourbon. Oh, yeah. You know, I've always thought of Makers as a, as a great spot to enter the category because it's easy. It's a, you know, it's not an aggressive product at all. It's just an easy drink and anybody can drink it. And uh, um, that I think that was a, a, what attributed to its success is that, that uh, you know, it was smoother and mellower because it had wheat instead of rye in the mash bill. Now, uh, uh, Dave, when you were at uh, Maker's Mark, were you involved with the creation of Maker's 46? Um, that actually happened just right after I left. Um, yeah, that's that was, that's a that really was kind smooth. Samuel Swan song. That was a, that was his last major deal before he um, turned over the reins. Yeah, and I know on that one. I mean, Maker's Forty Six is to me just a really just a premier bourbon, and they uh, use an innovative wood staving process which uh, matures the maker's mark. I know it casts strength, and then they put some French oak staves in there, and it's just, it's a, it's a fabulous uh, whiskey. And I know that makers had a little controversy a few years ago because they wanted to, I think, uh, dilute or take the age statement uh, off, if I'm not mistaken, which most every bourbon has done now. But there was a huge rebellion from the maker's consumers and their ambassadors, and uh, they kind of uh, rescinded their, their decision at the time. You know, Makers has an unbelievable following of people, and uh, and they're very, very passionate people. And you know, and you know, and, and kind of their mantra is "Don't mess with my whiskey." <laughs> and uh, um, I, I think maybe Makers miss a, you know, just didn't quite apprehend the full force of uh, of their consumers and their and their desire for the whiskey not to change in any respect. Well, and they were always known as a really a premium uh, price product. And when people think of a premium price product, they want a premium product. So, right. uh, but it was very interesting how over the course of a weekend, things uh, really changed. So you were at Maker's Mark for how long? You said 15 years? Um, so I, I, I consulted from 89 to 94. And then in 94, I became the master distiller and was there until, until 2008. Okay, so about 14 years. Fantastic. Right. Dave Pickerell of Oakview Spirits, uh, former master distiller at Maker's Mark and now a uh, noted uh, master distiller uh, for hire, really, for many craft distilleries across the country, our guest. So, Dave, you decide to leave Maker's, and at that point, you, you became kind of uh, really in the industry known as the man to go to if you are going to create a distillery. Well, you know, that was, it was it was the, the right time. You know, the, the craft spirit movement was just taken off. Um, and uh, um, there was a lot of need. And, and uh, you know, makers had, had given me a, you know, a platform to launch off of. And uh, um, it was just perfect timing. I, literally, I've never had to advertise. Um, I get to cherry pick who I take. And, uh, um, um, and uh you know, my goal is to help people to see their dreams come true. I call it putting feet on dreams. And so if somebody's got a dream of seeing a craft spirit company come to life, it's, it's my goal to help them see that happen. And, well, and I, uh, I, I, yeah, on your website, I'm just looking at everything that you do. I mean, basically, if somebody's got the cash, 
They can call you and you will guide them because it's not an easy process to set up a distillery. It's not like you say, great, let's start uh, just buying some some corn and some uh, rye and let's get things distilling. There's a lot of governmental regulation. There's a lot of, of oversight that is necessary. And the other thing is it takes time. And, and I think a lot of people think, okay, let me just get in. I'm going to make a ton of money. It doesn't work that way. Right. It, it's yeah, there's there's no substitute in bourbon for 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 time and and uh, you know and I, I do I, I I tell people you know I want I'm holistic you know either I can do it or I can or I got a guy that's one of the benefits of being an old distiller is you got a guy um, but uh, um, I want to do all the pieces that they can't do and I'm, I'll even help them raise money if they need it um, but whatever it takes to get people off the ground and running um, that's what I want to do and. Uh, I'm only going to do the parts that they either don't want to do or they can't do. Yeah, and, and obviously you enjoy it. And, and I mean, I'm looking at some of your client roster here, uh, and it reads like a who's who of craft distillers. Uh, and we'll, get, we'll talk about some of them, but I'm looking few spirits, and we've, we've talked to them. Uh, Corsair Artisan Distillery up in uh, Nashville, and in fact, we want to get them on. But uh, Garrison Brothers, High Texas, their whiskeys are phenomenal. Uh, we've we've spoken with them on the show. Uh, St. Augustine Distillery, Phil McDaniel. Uh, in fact, I've toured the facility up in St. Augustine. That's a very cool facility up there, and it's really become a tourist mecca in St. Augustine. Um, Whistle Pig, which we'll talk about, and you got some other interesting projects. So you've really worked with a across the country with just a wide variety of entrepreneurs and uh, other people that want to get set up and and get into the craft distilling business. Well, you know, it's it's just. It- I just don't pinch me because I might wake up and find out I'm a burger flipper. Um, but, uh, um, you know, when I, when I first t- got started, I, I had this dream that, that I would, could capture 25% of all the craft spirits market. And this was when it was still pretty young, and I didn't really anticipate how fast it would blow up. And uh, one year I, I, took, uh, I took stock, and at the end of the year, I added up all of the metals that craft spirit companies had won across all competitions during that year. And 24.7% of all, all the medals were clients of mine. So that's incredible. That's as, that's as close as I ever got to the 25% line. Cause the next year there were like, like 600 distilleries that started operation and, and I, I just couldn't stay on top of it anymore. But Do most uh, craft distiller clients that come to you, do they want you to assist them in creating the blend, or do they already have an idea of what they want, and you kind of work with them to make that uh, come true? Uh, generally speaking, they have an idea of what they want. And my job, you know, I tell people that, with with a few exceptions, my job is isn't to isn't to tell you what to make. My job is to make it really good, and uh, right. so I try really in in most cases. I would say most. So, um, a, a couple notable exceptions would be Hill Rock, Whistle Pig, and Metallica. But other than those, by and large, um, I tell people, you tell me what you want to make. We go through some tastings, and you know, we and they, and they give me some guidance about what they want. And then uh, and then once we get sort, we get it arrow, narrowed down to what they want. Then I start putting all the pieces and parts together to make it to give them what they want and make sure it's really good. 
Dave Pickerel, our guest, noted master distiller uh, for Maker's Mark for many years and now noted uh, consultant and master distiller to the craft spirit industry. Dave, as a master distiller, you obviously must have a favorite. But as a master distiller, you have to sometimes put away your favorite taste to say, hey, this is the market we're going to capture. Just like a cigar uh, blender may say, hey, look, I like a medium-bodied cigar, but we're going to create a super, super full cigar. So you must have your favorites. Uh, is it difficult for you to deviate from your taste profile when working with some of these craft distillers? Um, believe it or not, no. Um, you know, I, I know what products are supposed to taste like. You know, that's one of the things I love doing is, you know, if I go to like a whiskey fest, you know, the first thing I do when I get there is find out what's being poured that I've never tasted. And then during the evening, I'm going to go and taste those things. Uh, you know, so you know, I've got a really good taste memory and and uh, um, and I taste across everything. I, I mean, there, I, there's probably not a category I haven't I haven't worked to to understand. And so when somebody says, you know, hey, I want to make a rye whiskey, you know, I'm going to ask them Monongahela or, or, or uh, Maryland style. And uh, and then we're going to go from there and apply the right techniques and, and practices. If they say I want to make a bourbon, great. You want a rye bourbon or a wheat bourbon? If it's a rye bourbon, you want it to be a high rye or a low rye. And we just work our way through. And and uh, we're, whatever category they want, we're going to do our best to make it the best we can do. All right. So what is your favorite taste profile, Dave? Um, I have I have gravitated. I think, you know, as most people do, as, as you move along in life, um, your palate moves. And, and honest to goodness, you know, I, my palate is really moving towards more and more savory. Um, so, so I like things that have a good high rye content to them. Um, but I also like really full-bodied things. And so, so well, I'm applying finishes more and more to products, you know, whether it's wines or, or brandies or, or, uh, um, or some novel finish just to add some fun additional elements to the taste profile. So we talk about high rye. Definitely a lot of that sizzle, that peppery, when you say savory, you like some of that spice on the palate. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, I, I like I like something that that, you know, that you can that you, I like something that you can pair a really nice Maduro with. There and now you're talking. I was going to say Manuel Casada of Casada Cigars. When he talks about a cigar with a full body, he says, General, it's got a lot of personality. So you like your bourbons with a lot of personality. Dave Picarell, who is the former master distiller at Maker's Mark and now senior engineer master distiller of Oakview Spirits, consultant of the craft distillery industry, our guest as we continue on The Cigar Dave Show. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. 
Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar-making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Great Willie Nelson, whiskey and weed when it comes to Willie. Probably more weed than whiskey, but probably equal amounts of both. And we continue our celebration the entire month, National Bourbon Heritage Month, and celebrating all American distilled spirits. Pleasure to welcome back to this hour, Dave Pickerell, the senior engineer, master distiller, founder of Oakview Spirits, noted master distiller and consultant to the craft distillery industry and for 14 years the master distiller at Maker's Mark. You can never go wrong with a bottle of Maker's or Maker's 46. Dave, somebody comes to you, a craft distiller. Let's say I come to you and I say, all right, master distiller Dave, I would like to create a distillery here in the Cigar City. I know nothing about the process. I know what I like to drink. I've got the capital. Guide me. Guide us through the process, how long it takes, what the steps that have to go into it from A to Z, if you will. Well, um, so the first thing we do is we refine exactly what it is they want to do. Um, you know, we'll go and, and uh, you know, I'll, we'll, if they say, hey, I want to make a bourbon, you know, we'll, get, we'll go get some bourbons. We'll get some, some high rise, some low rise, some weeders and, uh, and taste through that and say, okay, this is the profile I'm more looking for then maybe if they say a low rye then we'll get a low rye with a young age a low rye with an old age a low rye with a finish and go through a few other things and, until we can kind of narrow in on, on what it is they want to do and then once they once that then we start figuring out okay what are our sales goals going to be over the next five years three to five years so we kind of figure out what's what's reasonable and and uh, and then uh, then I start then I start with the hard math. I I size all the equipment, um, get the boilers, the cooling towers, the chillers, the stills, and and you know even down to the design of the still because that's kind of my specialty is distillation design. And uh, we'll talk vendors for the major equipment like, like the still in particular. You know, do we want to do something like a like Vendome with their column and kettle still? Do we want to do something? more pot still like Forsyth or, and so we'll pick vendor for the still, then we'll go out for quotes on everything. Um, and uh, we're also looking at the space that they've got, you know, how, you know, what are the fire marshal issues? What are the layout issues? Um, 
what are the utilities? You know, you need to know how much water, how much natural gas, how much electrical. Do you have sewer lines? Do you have fire lines? So we have to get into all the infrastructure stuff. Um, then we'll lay it out, order all the equipment, and then start doing all the drawings for the piping and mechanical installation and uh, um, how we're going to lay down the barrels and then start getting vendors for, for the barrels, the grains, and all the other things. And, um, you know, the process typically, from the time somebody says, we're really ready to go, we've got the money, we also need to to apply for their federal permits, which can take nine months sometimes. So from the time we, from the time somebody says, let's do, do this now, it's going to be nine months to two years before we actually turn the keys over to them. So it's a long process. And, uh, you know, like in the case of St. Augustine Distillery, they had a very unique uh, proposition in that they took over an old ice factory in St. Augustine, about uh, maybe about eight blocks from the uh, historic downtown uh, uh, St. Augustine area. And what's interesting there is it's become a tourist mecca. And I, I would say they were actually the distillery that changed the, the sale laws in the state of Florida, where before a distillery, if they made, if St. Augustine made uh, uh, whiskey or gin, vodka, whatever the case is, they would have to sell it to a distributor, then buy it back and then sell it. And they finally were able to, to go to the legislature and lobby to get that changed. And I'll tell you, it's become a huge tourist mecca. And uh, as, as uh, Phil uh, McDaniel told me, he said, General, we could probably sell every single bottle that we made right out of our factory here, or out of our distillery, but we like having some of the distribution around the state uh, in hotels and, and in other liquor stores. And I'll tell you, it's, I've got a bottle right in front of me here. And while we move on to that, as we continue talking about it, I think I need a taste. We've been talking about bourbon and rye and all these other great American spirits. I'm going to open up this bottle. And just to let you know that this was from the spring season of 2017 and a bottle that I have just opened up. And what's interesting, very unique about this uh, uh, Florida double-cast bourbon is that with the heat in Florida, it's very different than if you're in Kentucky because if you age these too long with the heat, it's going to be just very woody and just too harsh. And they use a small barrel initially, and then they move it into a larger barrel. So very interesting uh, concept. Well, you know, the, you gotta you got to play the hand that Mother Nature deals you in. You know, and if you're in Kentucky, you know, the, the, when the whiskey gets down to somewhere around 42 degrees, it just kind of goes to sleep for a while. Right. And uh, in St. Augustine, the temperature in the warehouse never gets there, so the whiskey never sleeps. Um, and so, so we've got, you know, months and months of extra aging time. And, uh, you know, we say our whiskey ages in dog years down there um, just because it continues to move in and out of the barrel. So... So you've got to adjust your aging practices to account for the fact that the whiskey is going to age. Um, it's going to extract a lot faster than you would otherwise expect. Yeah, and what's very interesting, as he said, we, we went through trial and tribulation. And these small casks, we had them in too long, and it just was way, way too strong, too woody. But I'll tell you, this taking a sip of this got some nice warmth, some nice caramel notes on it. You can definitely uh, you know, taste the corn. Um, and you can taste the fact that it isn't aged, you know, eight years or four years. It's aged, I think, 16 months, but that's okay. It's still a very, very pleasant uh, whiskey. 
uh, or bourbon. And I can tell you that I remember going up there multiple times saying, do you have the bourbon yet? They're like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And boom, when they released it, it went like that. Really uh, successful product. You know, and and, uh, I think the one you've got's got some uh, uh, some port wine finish on it. Is that correct? It very well may be. This is just the regular Florida double cask bourbon. Right. And I know uh, that they uh, one of the things that's really fun is we were talking, you know, I went down to help them put the initial blend together and we're tasting it. and We're going, you know what? This could really use a little bit of a time in a port barrel. And uh, um, and. We're talking about it. You know, they want to stay local and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that we, while we're sitting there talking, um, St. Sebastian Winery is like right across the parking lot from from that's right um, St. Augustine. And the the guy from St. Uh, St. Sebastian calls up and goes, "Hey, I just dumped a bunch of port barrels. You know anybody that might want them?" And we're going, "Yes, put a bung in them and roll them across the parking lot." Um, so there you go. Literally. We can't, we, you can't have a fresher fill barrel. Um, and uh, so it was just absolutely amazing that, 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 that it just came out that way, that, that it was, uh, that right at the time we said we thought we needed some, they were right there in our backyard. It's amazing how life works sometimes. When you least expect it, boom, right in their backyard. And when you think of Florida, you don't think of wineries, and especially having a winery in St. Augustine virtually across the street. From St. Augustine Distillery, it it really is uh, incredible. So it takes about Dave two years from the time someone contacts you until the time they are starting distilling, and then after that, if they want to make an aged bourbon whiskey or an American whiskey, whatever the case is, or a rye, you're talking another couple of years minimum after that. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, that's probably the most overlooked thing is. Uh, um, what we do is, you know, when people start up, it's how well capitalized are you and how long can you wait before you have to sell stuff? And uh, and we'll try to extend that time. I, we, I call it developing cash flow projects. And sometimes it's, you know, selling a vodka or a gin to the tourists, um, which is, um, you know, great. It helps out, uh, you know, like St. Augustine, where you got a ton of tourists. Sometimes it's... Uh, it's having a venue where you have weddings at the distillery, like a, a Union Horse Distillery in Kansas City, that they sell tons of, of event space at their facility. Um, some uh, one of my distilleries is a as a, a distillery in uh, South Central Virginia called uh, Ragged Branch, and uh, these guys are all ag guys. I mean, literally, to get a job in the distillery, you have to be an ag major, and part of their job is working on the farm, and uh, they raise beef cattle and feed them the spent grain, and uh, they've trademarked the name Bourbon Beef. And so they've been selling bourbon beef at a rate that's kept them from having to sell any un- un- unaged or young whiskey or any-, or any vodka or gin or anything else. So cash flow projects are always a real key to, to being able to sit on your whiskey till it's ready. Well, two great products, bourbon and beef. How can you go wrong? Right. That's a perfect combination. And then when you Absolutely. can get a premium price for it, it's unbelievable. You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned talking about creating some revenue while the, while the whiskey or the bourbon ages. Uh, I was up in Maine a couple of years ago in Portland, Maine, and I visited with Luke Davidson, who is the proprietor and master distiller at Maine Craft Distilling. 
And, I mean, they've got a 50-stone whiskey that is just phenomenal. But he said, look, we had to get things going early on. So that's why we created a rum and then a gin, uh, a barley spirit, before we could start selling anything that's aged. And then they, they launched some aged rums and, and their 50-stone whiskey. But he said, initially, you know, while we were laying all these these uh, whiskeys and these rums down in barrels, we had to get some cash flow. And so they created some very unique spirits. And I think that's where well, you see that in many, many uh, craft distilleries across the country. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's part of the fun of it for me is, 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 is tailoring the cash flow projects to the specific facility and, and the needs of the distiller and, and their particular, uh, their particular bent on, on life. And it's, it's great fun to see all the all the interesting things that you can do when when uh, when necessity jumps into the picture. Dave Pickerell, master distiller for 14 years at Maker's Mark and uh, consultant and master distiller, and uh, really a tutor mentor to many of the craft distilleries across the country. Our guest as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month and celebrate American spirits as well. Dave, let me ask you: We talked. It's about a two-year process from the time someone comes to you till the time they're ready to begin distilling. What kind of capital investment? And I'm sure it just depends on how large and so on, but. Uh, ballpark give us a range for somebody to say i want to become a craft distillery i want to be able to sell product out of of our own uh, storefront and also maybe do some distribution in our state through a distributor what kind of capital investment are people talking about uh, for craft distilling um it well it varies whether you're making whiskey or 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 vodka or gin um you can certainly if if all you, you want to do is make gin or vodka you can get in a lot lower but if you want to make a if you want to make a good whiskey and actually make a profit at it, you probably talk an initial investment of at least a million and a half, um, and uh, um, maybe a little bit less if you've got a really good cash flow project. But uh, but I always I generally tell people get a million and a half before you before you really start into it because the worst thing you can do is go into it undercapitalized because then you start having to take a shortcuts and sacrifice things, quality related things in order to get the doors open. Yeah. And as Arturo Fuente says, you cannot rush the hands of time. And when it comes to whiskey, you know, you, you got to let that sit and you got to let that age. You can't just say, okay, you know what? We're going to let it sit for two years. Let's take it out after 12, 13 months. It doesn't work like that. You'll get a very, very young, uh, whiskey. You won't get what you really want and what the consumers want. Right. And, 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 you get, you get, like they say, you get one chance to make a first impression. And, All right, Dave, uh, when we, okay, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish up. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't ruin your reputation right off the get go and hope to build a successful brand. Absolutely. If somebody, and I know with St. Augustine, they said, hey, we, we could have released it earlier. We didn't. And we had a lot of pressure on us from consumers to release it. But I'll tell you, when they did release it, they sell out every batch because it is fantastic. They didn't rush it. All right. In our final concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we'll continue with Dave Pickerell, master distiller to the craft distilling industry. And we'll talk about some of the projects he's work on, uh, works on. We've got a couple of samples that we will taste and talk about as we wrap it up right around the corner. Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the General, each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. 
Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Day Valfo Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold. All three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional, mild, and creamy cigar, typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian Florida wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging. With an earthy Sumatra wrapper, Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied, and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, a little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. Instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy profile. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold, three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. As cigar connoisseurs, we love sampling cigars with different wrappers, different taste profiles from different countries. And I've got the perfect way that you can sample fabulous cigars delivered directly to you each month. It is the Cigar Dave Officers Club. For $22.95 per month, you will get three of the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you each month. We have featured some incredible cigars. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary. From Alec Bradley Cigars, the Prensado Lost Art. We featured the Placencia Cosecha 146. We had an incredible Davidoff portfolio sampler, and we've got many new cigars that we'll be featuring in the months ahead. So become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join now. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. The Cigar Dave Officers Club. Join CigarDave.com slash Officers Club today. In a small shack in Kentucky, I've lived most of my life. And I do things my own way. I don't take no one's advice. I'm a simple man and honest. Dave Pickerell, master distiller for 14 years at Maker's Mark and noted craft distilling consultant and master distiller to, uh, or uh, master distiller to many craft distillers across the country. Rejoined us for our final segment. All right, uh, Dave, let's talk about some of the clients that you have uh, worked with. And I'm smoking an A.J. Fernandez Enclave Habano today, and I can tell you that the Enclave Habano is going to go perfectly with the Whistlepig Straight Rye Risky 10 that is in front of me. And as I pour it, tell us about Whistlepig. Interesting story there. Well, Whistlepig is the, you know, was really the first thing that I had in mind to just go after and, uh, and be a part of myself um, for the long term. Uh, uh, we, uh, we partnered up, built a distillery in Vermont, and immediately got hit with the fact that the Vermont government is anti-business and took four and a half years to get a building permit. So we started by uh, using third-party whiskey, which, which you know, some people really don't appreciate. But, you know, we went out and got exactly what I wanted to make anyway from the only distillery in the world that was capable of doing that and uh, launched a whiskey that uh, um, that within four months had been rated 96 is the highest ever rated rye whiskey by wine enthusiasts. And, and we were off to the racetrack. Uh, the 10 year old that you've got, I call Mr. Versatile. Um, it's designed to be consumed however you want. Neat rocks, mm. water, um, in a cocktail, however you want it. And, and certainly 
rolling up a really nice cigar and uh, um, and just sitting back and sipping it. Can't be much better than that. I'll tell you what, this rye got some, um, I'm getting some nice citrus on here and definitely got a little bit of spiciness to it, but very, very pleasant. Nice, long, very warm on the finish. It, it's, and, you know, I tell people the finish on Whistle Pig is so long it needs its own zip code. <laughs> it really does. On the Cigar Dave Warm Factor, it's a 10. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. All right, let's go to some, uh, let's go to Texas from Vermont. And by the way, I can't believe Bernie Sanders is not business friendly. Who would have thought? But let's go to Texas <laughs> and a state that is that is business friendly. And you got Garrison Brothers, and they have got a great story. You work with them. And I'll tell you what, their whiskeys are absolutely fantastic. You know, they, they're, one, they're one of the first ones to really demonstrate the Tex, what I call Texas terroir. I mean, you know, the summer, the, the weather is so hot and so dry there that you get a clearly differentiated um, maturation. And I don't know, you, which one do you have in front of you, the regular bourbon or the cowboy? Oh, no, bourbon? no, no. No, no, I got the cowboy. We're going with oh, the yeah. alpha male, kicking the ass, 137 the cowboy proof. Is, the cowboy bourbon is definitely, you know, an opinionated bourbon that says, that says you need to stand up and salute when you drink this one. And let me say cheers. I'm going to down the hatch, as we say, take a sip here. Mm. And I know Dan told me this was his favorite. Whoa, this has got, this is uncut. It is cast strength. This is for the alpha male that really wants a lot of personality coming down the pipe. It is. It's really good. You know, it's, um, you know, it, it just, it, it just bakes it down there. So you do, you get a little bit of that Texas heat in the, in the whiskey um, that just really sets this one apart. All right, let's talk about Metallica, the band. You're working on a black and American whiskey with them. Oh, this one is so much fun. This was, again, this was one of those exceptions that we talked about where the idea was they came to me and it was more like a commissioning, one artist to another. They said, we want to be involved in whiskey. We want to be in it for the long term. Make us something that we can be proud of. And, and, uh, um, and so I, I took away three things. The band is collaborative. They think out of the box and they have this process they call metallicizing where they kick things up a notch or two after they're already good. So we I've started got a with a, a networking. Um, I reached out to, to companies all over North America and got really well curated supply of nicely aged spirits, Canadian rye, whiskey from Tennessee, from Kentucky, from Indiana. Um, just all over the place, things that you would have been pleased to just take and put your name on. But then, but that wasn't enough. We had to collaborate. So we, I married them all together and that's a little out of the box. And then, uh, we put it in, in uh, brandy barrels and then hit it with black noise, which is a process that we're, uh, that we're, uh, patenting where you take low ultra low frequency sound waves in this case, Metallica music and, to hit the barrels and the idea it's not fast staging it's just enhancing but the idea is to get the frequency at the right low pitch so that it will cause the molecules between the the wood and the whiskey to vibrate and give you more intimate contact so you can pull some more caramels and things out of the barrel that uh, i cannot wait to try and we're, oh, we're really absolutely tight delicious. on 
Yeah, I can't wait to try that. We're going to link because there's you've got uh, Hill Rock and Jay Rieger, George Washington Distillery. We're going to put links to all the sites that craft distillers that you're involved with at CigarDave.com. Dave Pickerell, master distiller for 14 years at Maker's Mark and now the uh, master distiller to many craft distilleries in his own consulting firm, Oakview Spirits. Dave, really want to thank you for joining us as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate being on the show. Loved having you. Cigar Dave, the general saying, may your humidor always be full. May your cutter always be sharp. May your ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Keep making bourbon great to all the craft distillers and master distillers. Tomorrow, my bills, oh, it's going to be a long season, but go bills anyway. <laughs>